When a new currency is created, it often comes with new nicknames and terms. In the UK, where I am, we have the pound, because medieval England minted coins in the same weight as a pound of silver. A slang term for a pound is a quid, which comes from quid pro quo, the Latin for this for that. In Spain, the Philippines and some countries in Latin America, the currency is the peso, which means weight in Spanish. The silver peso, worth eight reals, meaning royals, was also known in English as the Spanish dollar, or a piece of eight. It was widely used international currency from the 16th to 19th century, which is why we associate pieces of eight with pirates in Hollywood movies. The dollar could also be cut into quarters, and two bits became an American slang for quarter dollar, or 25 cents. The American dollar today was pretty much based on the Spanish dollar, and that word dollar comes from the German word, thaler, which was a large silver coin that was used widely in Europe in the 16th and 17th centuries. It made its way over to the Americas with people searching for the new world. Other slang terms for the US dollar include bucks, probably from the trading of buckskins in colonial America. And you've got greenbacks, which was a currency issued during the US Civil War, where paper money was printed in green ink. Then you've got dough, probably coming from bread being an essential staple food. And cheddar, a newer slang equivalent, coming from when the US government gave out cheese as part of the welfare state during the Reagan era. My point is this, we think of our money today as eternal and unchanging, because in our lifetimes it doesn't really go through many changes. But remember this, the US dollar is only 231 years old. The euro is only 21 years old. And the origins of the terms we use for money often get forgotten over time. But as we'll learn today, nicknames matter, and some can stick. The attention economy pits you against me. Money makes no sense these days, and the robots to take a jobs. The planet is in peril, but we can set us free. Put our brains together if we lead with our hearts. Gotta take back control from the greedy and the corporate. Gotta take back control. Welcome back to Tech Back Control. It's a new project I've started to explore the disruptions in tech that shift power into the hands of the people. If you want to get a feel for what this podcast and project is about, feel free to listen to the trailer first. Today, I'm exploring our perception of money and why certain terms shape how we think about it. So why do we create new forms of money? When the US gained independence from Great Britain in 1776, they needed a new form of money. For a while, they'd use the Spanish dollar, the Dutch Gilder, the French Lever, or existing British pounds, which probably no one wanted. But by 1792, they needed something else, and they created a new standard, which was the US dollar. There have been thousands and thousands of instances throughout history where another form of money has been required. Sometimes it's the creation of a new nation, such as America. Other times it's new trading markets, like in Europe also for political reasons or to counter economic instability. There's always a motivating reason behind it. In 2009, at the peak of the global financial crisis, a person or group of people going by the alias of Satoshi Nakamoto wrote a white paper for Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. 
Now, don't get me wrong, this wasn't the start of a new nation. It wasn't integrating a trading block or trying to peg something to another for stability. This was to create a new form of money, independent from the finance institution that was failing people at the time. Infamously, Satoshi wrote a message in the data attached to the Genesis block. It was a headline from the Times newspaper saying, The Times, 3rd of Jan, 2009. Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. So yeah, today we're talking about new forms of money and how they get their names and reputations. So, crypto. Who coined the term? On January 3rd, 2023, Bitcoin turned 14 years old. It's kind of crazy. At the time of recording, the entire crypto industry is going through one of its hardest and darkest periods in history. And it made me want to dive a bit deeper into how it got there. See, when Satoshi Nakamoto first announced the Bitcoin white paper, he called it a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. He emailed it to a cypherpunk cryptography mailing list. There's actually no mention of cryptocurrency anywhere. In fact, if you search for the term crypto in the white paper, you get one hit. You get this paragraph where it says, what is needed is an electronic payment system based on cryptographic proof instead of trust, allowing any two willing parties to transact directly with each other without the need for a trusted third party. That's it. A single mention of cryptographic proof. Conversely, the word honest comes up 16 times, and the word privacy comes up six times. But weirdly enough, it's mostly to acknowledge the shortcomings of true privacy, as Satoshi points out that some linking is still unavoidable with multi-input transactions, which necessarily reveal that their inputs were owned by the same owner. The risk is that if the owner of a key is revealed, linking could reveal other transactions that belong to the same owner. So privacy comes up six times to mainly say that it doesn't really have true privacy. Interesting. So you're probably thinking, where on earth did the term cryptocurrency come from? If it wasn't part of that white paper and if it doesn't really get mentioned in the main description. See, Satoshi never mentioned it. None of the cypherpunk pioneers in the cryptography mailing list really used that term. They might talk about encryption, but never crypto or cryptocurrency. From what I can tell, it seems to have all started in 2011. There was a Forbes article with the title Cryptocurrency. There's a space in between crypto and currency. I'll read the opening paragraph and see if it resonates with what you think of Bitcoin being today. The internet has left plenty of dead and maimed paper-based institutions in its wake. If Gavin Andreessen and his underground cadre of cypherpunks had their way, another archaic slice of pulp tree may be the next. The dollar. Bitcoin is a grassroots non-profit project that seeks to fashion a new currency out of little more than cryptography, networking and open source software, and Andreessen is the closest thing the project has to a director. Bitcoin is not, he explains, just a new way to digitally spend dollars, pounds and yen. That's been tried before. Remember beans and flues? Bitcoin is different. It wholly replaces state-backed currencies with a digital version that's tougher to forge, cuts across international boundaries, can be stored on your hard drive instead of in a bank, and perhaps, most importantly to many Bitcoin users, isn't subject to the inflationary whim of whatever Federal Reserve chief decides to print more money. Bitcoin is designed to bring us back to a decentralized currency of the people, says Andreessen, a 44-year-old software developer and entrepreneur based in Amherst, Massachusetts. This is like better gold than gold. So there you have it. 
Gavin Andreessen at that point was just a software developer. Now you'll probably see A16Z, the big venture capital firm that he co-owns, and you'll think that's where he started. But it wasn't like that. See, somehow we went from this article about a quirky nascent technology to the point where a member of the US House of Representatives calls it creepy dough last year during the hearings from the fallout from FTX. So somehow, since that Forbes article, cryptocurrency has stuck. And over the years, it's become the brand, the nickname, the shorthand, not just for Bitcoin, but for an entire industry. I don't think that's going to change, but I can't help but wonder whether another headline, a different term, slightly different nickname, and we'd all be thinking about it a little differently. For a new audience, the term crypto is very misleading, as it sets a starting point which is completely at odds with what the technology and the industry is about. Crypto sparks the ideas of cryptography, encryption, secrecy, spies, and things which need to be kept secret. You'd be forgiven for thinking that cryptocurrencies were completely private and hidden from prying eyes. However, the truth is completely the opposite. And I think it has hindered the growth and adoption of this whole space. I mean, with few exceptions, most cryptocurrencies are not private. They're not secret or truly anonymous. They're not untraceable. As any law enforcement expert knows, they're actually pretty terrible for criminals because you can trace a lot of where their behaviors have been. Satoshi mentioned that in the white paper, privacy, true privacy, is a weakness of this. It doesn't do it well. I'm starting to wonder what would have happened if that Forbes article had been titled Open Money instead of Cryptocurrency. We've seen this approach to naming in other areas already. Look at OpenOffice, an open source office productivity suite, or OpenVPN, the open source virtual private network protocol that you've probably used or not even known that you've been using. OpenID, an open standard protocol for authentication and authorization that allows you to log into multiple websites over the internet without the need for separate usernames and passwords. Or OpenSSL, that's basically the secure sockets layer and transport layer security that provides communication securely over the internet. You use it with pretty much every website you go to. Or there's OAuth, short for Open Authorization, paired with OpenID. It's the standard open protocol for authorizing third-party applications to access your data without having to give your user credentials to that third party. The list goes on. And I know, I know, there are exceptions. There's OpenAI, which is proving to be anything but open. But still, as they say, the exception that proves the rule. So if in 2011, Forbes wrote the same article, but with the title Open Money, I can imagine the reaction from newcomers would have been very different. For start, Bitcoin is open source. Anyone can inspect the source code, copy it, reuse it, check it for vulnerabilities. We love open source. I mean, it literally powers the web. Who knows, big tech and governments might even start adding and building upon that open source foundation had it been termed open money. But like all the examples listed above, the Bitcoin network is open. Anyone can join it. You just add a new machine to the network and start validating transactions or run a Bitcoin node and keep a record of the full chain of transactions for anyone to refer to. Open means it doesn't discriminate. Not by nationality, race, gender, age, religion. It's just open. And if the headline had been about open money, one area where we'd be having a different discussion is with regard to that privacy. For some reason, 
cryptocurrencies seem to have lost the right to privacy. Somewhere along the association with crypto and assumptions around it already being private, it seems that it doesn't have the right to actually be private. But your OpenID, OpenVPN, OpenSSL, OAuth, all universal internet protocol standards have encryption and privacy as a fundamental right. I mean, you wouldn't really want to use OAuth for authorizing access to a third-party app if that app could see all of your credentials and personal information, would you? The painful truth about Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the majority of cryptocurrencies out there is that they're all completely open for anyone to see. If any other digital service on the internet was as open as crypto, it would quickly be abandoned, or there would be universal campaigns to put in place secure mechanisms for preserving user privacy. I'm pretty sure the EU would start passing laws forcing everyone and anyone to respect data privacy for use of open money. But no, this isn't how we talk about cryptocurrencies, because they're assumed private, encrypted, covert, criminal, but I doubt an open money protocol would suffer this false narrative. One area where the open money argument struggles is with regard to criminality. Cryptocurrencies have had this reputation where they're only used for criminal behavior. And it's weird because if you use open source software on open source internet protocols, you won't assume to be a criminal. But for sure, I guarantee you, criminals use the open source examples I listed above all the time. Quite simply, because they're the best and they're the most reliable and safe ways to transact on the internet. With the exception of a few overzealous politicians, I don't see anyone questioning OpenSSL protocols or OpenID or OpenVPN just because criminals use transport layer encryption or open protocols to secure their data when they communicate on the internet. It would be a kind of weird debate to be having, to be honest. And maybe the same would apply if it was called open money. Finally, I do wonder what would have happened to the overall narrative if we were talking about open money in the same breath as the open internet. It's been all too easy to label crypto as its own fringe technology, industry, and community. The term doesn't help itself. It kind of makes it easy to other and to sideline. Reclaiming that is something that we're seeing in the latest generation, but it doesn't need to be that way. I mean, if during the last financial crisis, and who knows, maybe this current one that we're starting, we started talking about the reasons for having an alternative form of money separate from our financial institutions and central banks, we might have landed on open money. In the same breath as net neutrality or open source, we could discuss the value of an open form of money. It might, even if only intellectually, also make us question what the opposite to that could be. Instead of the term fiat money or central bank money, we could just call it closed state money. It's still great. It's issued by your state, but it is closed money. Controlled money. Money which isn't part of the open internet and isn't open source. In fact, if there is any source code, it's proprietary. Closed source, viewable to a select few. A closed money which, for some people, might be fantastic, but for others might literally mean closed, access forbidden, not allowed cut off from that form of money due to circumstances beyond their control. Maybe the country you were born in wasn't right, or your gender, or your race, or the actions of whatever dictator runs your country. I find it staggering that some of the most progressive people on the planet, who campaign for equal rights, open borders, and open internet, but yet seem viscerally opposed to the idea of open money. But they're not really, they're opposed to crypto. Crypto is bad, it's criminal, it's wrong. 
I actually think open money probably might open people's minds. So here we are. We're starting a new era of technology in 2023. But unfortunately, the conversation is not about open money. We're talking a lot about money, but it's usually in regard to the banks, our financial institutions, the stability and shape of the money that we often take for granted. As far as open money is concerned, it is still crypto. And following the events of 2022, it is tainted by fraud, scandal, betrayal, and the negative connotations we've all given it. As one soundbite-craving US lawmaker pointed out during the FTX hearing, he would be considering introducing a resolution to rename cryptocurrency to creepy-doe currency in light of recent events. So (laughs) that's where we are right now. Not open money, not discussing a free open source form of money created during an appetite for anything which could offer alternatives to a collapsing financial system. No, we didn't get bucks, cheddar, or quid, or even bread. We got creepy dough. So, bring on the rest of 2023. Maybe the next financial crisis can give us a chance to rebrand and rethink and come up with a better headline. I hear Web3 is a term the world seems to prefer right now. It definitely isn't perfect, but maybe it's acceptable enough to be a starting point. So, here's to Web3 and open internet with an open money. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tech Back Control. I hope this little venture into the history of open money gave you food for thought. If you're interested in learning more, as usual, I'll share all the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on whatever podcast app you're using. And if you would like to get more involved in the conversation, feel free to join the Discord. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by me, Jonathan Tipper. The theme song is by Jonathan Mann, and the backing soundtracks are from Epidemic Sounds. The artwork for this episode was created using Midjourney. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time.